I'd like to start off with a quote this morning that uh, I listened to back in, I believe it was uh, July or August of this past year. And as I read this quote to you, I'm going to talk about uh, why it haunts me. It is something that as I listened to this podcast, uh, God really started to get a hold of my heart and really began to make me think about where should we head as a church at the start of 2023. Uh, the following quote is from Tom Rayner. He was doing a podcast with an individual by the name of Kerry Newhoff, who was a former pastor of a large church in Canada and now has essentially become an apostolic pastor, meaning that he is sort of a pastor to pastors and has a podcast that talks about some of the issues that are confronting the church, uh, particularly in America today. And in this, uh, the conversation was speaking to the death of denominations, the stunning decline in evangelism, which is what we're speaking to this week and for the next several weeks, as well as the digital revolution. This quote is what Tom Rayner said about research that he has done with his organization with churches in the United States. And what they've come to discover is the absolute dearth or death of evangelism among churches today. There is a huge concern, and in it, what they converse about is that much of what the churches in the United States are seeing is growth by what we would call market consolidation. It's essentially the idea of your Barnes and Noble large bookstore eating up the smaller bookstores. So churches are growing, but the bottom line is, in the research, they're discovering that churches are not advancing toward the kingdom of darkness. What I want to share with you is the following quote, and then what I'd like to do is I'd like to speak today to what we're going to be talking about, which is hopefully giving us the opportunity to take seriously an opportunity to go out and be evangelistic in our nature and in our purpose as a church. In this conversation, Tom Rayner essentially went through uh, several churches, and what they did was they asked churches to talk about their main objectives and what they were doing. And looking at the top level of the data, what he began to discover was that churches were very busy building buildings. Churches were very busy doing worship. Churches were very busy preaching sermons. Churches were very busy building large kid ministries. And he said, all of that is good. All of that is important. But what concerned him was the data on evangelism. And he said that in looking at it on a top level, churches are no longer evangelizing. And this is what he said. He said, if I were Satan, I would insist that people would get activities in the church that are more important than evangelism. I would get churches busy so that they neglect the main thing. What does the enemy not want us to do? The enemy definitely does not want us to depopulate hell. I want to pause on that for a minute. What does the enemy not want us to do? He definitely does not want us to depopulate hell. And so what will he do? He will get us busy. He will get us looking inwardly. He will get us focused on ourselves. He will get us focused on our own ideas. He will get us into what I call the holy huddle, 
which is what I will speak to in a moment. But he will get us so focused on our faith that will neglect the whole reason why Jesus Christ came to this earth, which was to live and to die on a cross to bring eternal life to all who are lost. Can I ask a quick question? Please do me a favor. If you're in the congregation today and you came to faith in Jesus Christ because of someone else sharing the gospel with you, will you please raise your hand? Look around, keep it high. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that's why we're here. And that's the reason. And one of the things that so haunts me greatly in this is, I started thinking about it. Um, I've sent out an email to, to several of you. I've sent out an email talking about this one-to-one. I hope you've had an opportunity to listen to the podcast. If you haven't, please do so. It's about 15 minutes in length. It starts at about the 29-minute and 47-second mark of the, the icon that I've sent out. If you haven't gotten it and you want to listen to it, please let me know. But in this, what they begin to discover and what they begin to talk about is this. And this is the thing that pastors have to recognize, and this is something that's going to be very difficult for us to hear, but it's true. Gone are the days that people just come to church. They're not here anymore. You have to hear me on this. It is extremely rare in our culture today that individuals are just going to be driving along the street and turn and say, oh, Faith Bible Church looks like a friendly place. I'll just pop in and see what that's all about. They actually speak to the fact that in our culture today, many people view churches as essentially exclusive clubs of which they're not welcome. That's what they speak to in this podcast. And then they go forward and they say this. They say, we're not sure exactly what to do, but we're going to tell you this. We are confident that churches 10 years from now that can figure out and move toward an evangelistic focus will be the churches that are healthy and thriving. And so brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't know how long the Lord has me on this earth, but I will tell you that I'll be turning 50, okay, in a few short months. Hopefully, prayerfully, I've got at least 10 more years. And brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to see this church growing for Jesus, not becoming a holy huddle. And this is one of the things that hit me the other day. How many of you have been watching the news lately? How many of you are excited about what's going on? Okay. How many of you, and this, this, this is what convicted me. How many of you are sitting there saying, come, Lord Jesus, come? Anybody? Okay. Here, here's the thing. So am I. But you know what? A couple of days ago, it just hit me. And I said, you know what, God? Rather than praying, come, Lord Jesus, come, shouldn't I be praying, Lord Jesus, don't come yet. There are more people to come to your kingdom and use me and use us as a vessel to draw people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Completely changed my perspective. Yes, I want Jesus to come. Yes, if Jesus comes today, I'm not going to say, hey, can you stop and wait? 
But rather than looking at it and saying, hey, Jesus, can you come so I can get out of this world? Can we change our perspective to say, Father, keep me in this world and use me, use us as a light to a lost and hurting world. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if ever there was a time, it is now for us to go out and be salt and light to the world. And so over the next 12 weeks, what I want to do for us is give us a tool. The other thing that I spent time praying over for several months was, okay, great, we're going to do evangelism, right? So what do I do? Do I just come up to all of you and preach one sermon on, hey, we all need to go out and tell people about Jesus, go and do it and become the next Billy Graham? Some of you would sit there and say, well, gosh, I'm not Billy Graham. I don't have that gift. I don't have that talent. And so I began praying. And I don't, honestly, I'll be 100% honest with you. I have no idea where this is going to go. I have no idea where this is going to go. But in my prayer time, I said, I can't sit back idle as a pastor and ignore the fact that churches are no longer evangelizing. I've got to step up to the plate and do what I can to swing that bat. And if I strike out, then I strike out, but at least I've stepped up to the plate. But what if we hit a home run? What if in this, through this time, we begin to discover how we can go out and tell people about Jesus? And the first thing that we start out with is this. All I want to ask you right now is this. Would you begin to commit praying that God would put someone in your spiritual radar that either doesn't know Jesus but has a relationship with you, or maybe they've come to Christ but they're just kind of figuring it out and they want to know more about him, that God would lay that person on your heart? And that's all I'm asking. I'm asking for one person or one family. I'm not asking for 20 people. I'm not asking you to be Billy Graham. But one person or one family for an entire year. And then what if, as we're going to get into this message, through your relationship with them, through spending time with them, through engaging with them, you invest to the point where you're able to bring up a spiritual conversation with them. And then what if they say, yeah, I want to know more about Jesus? Then what do you do? Oh my gosh, they want to know more about Jesus. How do I tell them? Right? This study essentially will walk them through the foundations of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to be preaching on for the next 12 weeks. After that, we're going to move into, interestingly enough, Palm Sunday and Easter. Palm Sunday and Easter. And then after that, guess what we're going to be talking about? The book of Hebrews. Wouldn't it be neat if someone during this time comes to Jesus Christ and they come here on Easter and they're a new believer because God is the one who's worked, but we've planted and we've watered well. And that's the one thing that I want to encourage you in. God is God and God is big. But the scripture also says that we plant and we water. And so may we plant and may we water well with this. And may we go out and encourage people with the gospel. This study, for lack of a better word, is going to take us through the foundation of the Bible, what it is, how can we trust it, how is it authentic, why is it different from other religious scriptures, 
It's then going to go into the uniqueness of God and his holiness and his justness and why he is God. It then goes into the uniqueness of Jesus Christ and what he's done and why he's done it. And then it goes into why we need him as a savior and how we might be saved. And then finally afterwards, after having potentially made a decision for Jesus, it says, now that you've made a choice for Christ, this is how you should go about living your life. Here's what I want to tell you. Prayerfully and lovingly, in this study, you can take this. You can go to your friend. You can go to your coworker. You can go to that guy across the street who is the biggest sinner of all, who you think will never come to Jesus Christ, and begin to engage in, in his or her life with a spiritual conversation, and then invest in them and take the time to do it. Always knowing that God is the one who brings people to faith. We don't do it. But we are the ones who are the conduit to bring the light of the world to a dark, lost place. And that's what we're speaking to this morning. If I were Satan, I would insist that people would get activities in the church that are more important than evangelism. And please hear me, I'm not saying that these activities aren't important. There's a lot that we must do to bring the gospel. But one of the things that we have to recognize is the main thing of the gospel is to go out and make disciples for Jesus Christ. How do we make disciples for Jesus Christ if we're not evangelizing? I would get churches so busy that they neglect the main thing. What does the enemy not want us to do? The enemy definitely does not want us to depopulate hell. Once we're in the kingdom, yes, the enemy is going to do what he can. Once we're in the kingdom, the enemy is going to come forward and try to distort and distract. But the first thing that the enemy doesn't want us to do is to start saying, hey, we want to go out into this community and advance the kingdom of light over the kingdom of darkness. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to read to you from a story in the Gospel of Luke. It's about Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector. It's in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And my prayer in this is that it will show us the importance of going out and giving the gospel to those who are in need. Now, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. We're going to come, and Jesus has essentially been ministering. He's on his way to Jericho. It is toward the latter part of Luke, so Jesus has already demonstrated many miraculous signs. He has demonstrated that there is obviously something unique about him. He has made a claim to being the Son of God, and so people are beginning to wonder who he is. A crowd has begun to gather around him, and in this, as he moves to Jericho, there is this individual named named Zacchaeus. And so this morning we're going to ask this question, why is it so important us, for us to understand that we're all sinners in need of a Savior? One of the things that I think is so important with evangelism and one of the things that I think we need to remember and recognize is that none of us are here because it's been random happen circumstance. And none of us are here and saved by Jesus Christ because we're good people. None of us are here and saved by Jesus Christ because we put more money in the offering plate. None of us are here and saved by Jesus Christ because we're engaged in ministries within the church. None of us are here and saved by Jesus Christ because we're pastors who are educated. We are all here as sinners in need of a Savior. 
And the reason that I bring that up is when we forget that, when we begin to think, I'm okay, you're okay, I'm part of the kingdom, it doesn't matter, those people are the outsiders, the world is getting bad, let's all just become a holy huddle and ride it out until Jesus returns. The enemy has us right where he wants us. So brothers and sisters in Christ, this might not be a popular thing to say, but what I'm going to tell you is this. We have a choice. We have a choice to come on Sunday and sing Kumbaya to Jesus and feel good about ourselves and say, boy, I got my worship in and I am with Jesus and it is wonderful, but I'm not going to do anything to advance the kingdom of darkness or sorry, to advance the kingdom of light into the kingdom of darkness. I'm just going to sit here and ride it out until Jesus returns. Or, and trust me on this, it can get dangerous and it will get dangerous. We can say, no, I want to go out and I want to start telling people about Jesus Christ. And I want to use a tool that I've been given to be able to do that. And I'm going to begin praying that God's going to put someone in my life who wants to hear the story of Jesus. And that in that, I'm going to invest in him or her or them. And I'm going to take the time to take them through and show them who Jesus is. And here's the thing. I know your next thought. Man, wouldn't it be awesome if they all come to Jesus Christ? I'm going to be real with you. You will take people through and they will reject him. That's okay. It's not on your shoulders. God's the one who does it. But let's get up and swing the bat. Let's take people through. Because you never know. You might take someone through and they might come to Jesus Christ. And here's the funny thing. If this didn't exist, I wouldn't be here today. This is how I came to Jesus Christ. An individual took a risk with a partying, beer-drinking frat boy and sat down with me and spent six weeks hearing my opposition, hearing my questions. And I came to Jesus Christ through this study. So I'm living proof but it can be done. We look at Zacchaeus, and here's the story. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I Give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because the, this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. Brothers and sisters, the title of my sermon today is Become the Guest of a Sinner. Become the guest of a sinner. 
One of the things that I want to encourage you in is this, is in our world today, right now, it is so easy for us just to become essentially contemplative or sort of kicking back in our faith. Come and do our thing, come and worship Jesus, and then go home. But what I want to ask you is this, is there somebody out there who just rattles your chain? Is there somebody out there who is against Jesus Christ? Is there somebody out there that God's put in your life and you're sitting there and you're saying, why in the world is this person here? It would just be easier if they would get out of my life. And if there's that person, I want to encourage you, that's the person that you begin praying about and asking, God, is this the person that you want me to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with? Interestingly enough, um, as we look at the story of Zacchaeus, just a couple of quick things for you as we move in to look at what's going on in this passage. The first thing that I want you to see is this, that the story of Zacchaeus is only recorded in the Gospel of Luke. It's unique to this Gospel. Why? I wish I could tell you. But it doesn't happen in the other Gospels. But it is a unique story about the fact of salvation and that God is the one who is seeking and moving toward discovering the lost. But it's also a story about an opportunity for someone by the name of Zacchaeus to discover their true identity. Here's the irony in this. The irony of the story of Zacchaeus is that his name means pure and or innocent one. So think about this for a minute. Zacchaeus is a key tax collector. How many of you like people that collect your taxes? Anybody? Anybody like the IRS? Anybody like the fact that the IRS is increasing our taxes? Anybody would be excited if I told you I was an IRS auditor? Right? No, we wouldn't, would we? Well, let's take this for a minute. And I want to talk to you about this because Zacchaeus, by his name, means pure or innocent. And so when you think about that, it's almost as if you're saying, hey, pure or innocent one. And here's the thing, he's anything but pure or innocent. Zacchaeus is a tax collector of his day. He is of the family of Abraham. He would be a Jew, but now he's working for the Roman government. So there is sin number one, okay? Right? Let me just throw this out to modern day, right? This guy is essentially a communist, right? He's anything but American. He's working for the enemy. But number two, he's taking your taxes. Now, the Roman government would have individuals take taxes, and that was a bad thing, but how did he make his money? Tax collectors made their money by extortion. So if the Roman government said, hey, 5% of every dollar that you make, we need to go to Rome, then what the tax collector would do is they would tack on their kick on the 5%. Now, that's sin number two. But here's the deal. He's the main dude. Of everybody in the town, he is the chief tax collector. If anyone was the one that you would look with disdain at, it was Zacchaeus, the pure or the innocent one. Now think about this for a minute. 
Zacchaeus is in a job, he's doing his thing, and all of a sudden, he begins to hear that there's this guy by the name of Jesus. And Jesus is doing these miraculous things by forgiving people their sins and bringing them to life. What would you do? And so the next thing that I want you to see, particularly in verses one through five, is this. Like Zacchaeus, it is possible that there are sinners who are desperate to know Jesus. Think about that for a minute. Oftentimes, I think the enemy wants to come to us and say, you know what, there are people out there, they don't like Jesus, they don't need to know about him. Don't even think about it. Don't even go to them and don't even tell them about Jesus Christ. It isn't worth it. But what if we changed our mind? What if we changed our perspective and began to realize that there are individuals out there who are Zacchaeuses, who are, in terms of the world, the worst of the worst, the person that you just kind of look at and say, I don't want anything to do with that individual. But we, what we come to discover in this story, for whatever reason, and we'll speculate in it in a moment, Zacchaeus wants to know Jesus. He wants to find out who he is. And so interestingly enough, we see that Jesus, in verse 1, enters Jericho and was passing through. Now Jericho had become a main center of trade. Okay, during this time, Jericho had grown, and balsam was essentially the main trade portion that was going through there. So not only was Zacchaeus wealthy because he was the chief tax collector, he was wealthy because Jericho was doing very well in the trade route. This guy had a ton of money. But this guy was hated by everybody. He was a traitor, he was a sinner, and he was the chief tax collector. Nobody wanted to be around him. And so interestingly enough, we then see that a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. Now, I didn't grow up in the church, but some of you did. Do you guys remember that uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, right? Okay, some of you might have sung that song. Very famous kind of song, very famous Bible story. But here's the thing. I want to take a minute. I want to put yourself in Zacchaeus' shoes. And I want to throw these out to you, and I want to talk about this for a minute. Okay? Jesus comes to seek Zacchaeus. Okay? That's the, the next kind of point that I'm talking about as a subpoint in these verses. Jesus comes to seek Zacchaeus, who is considered in his day to be among the greatest of all sinners. Right? Doesn't get worse than Zacchaeus right now. This guy, I mean, he's not kind of marginal. Like, this guy is the guy that you just disdain. But here's what I want to throw out to you. If Christ sought Zacchaeus, which we're going to see in a minute, then let's think about this. That no matter what another sins, okay, so think about this. Whoever else is out there, what another person's sins there are or might be, we can trust and know that Jesus has come to seek them as well. Because he says it right in his statement, I have come to seek and save what was lost. 
And so I want to hit this for a minute. There might be somebody out there right now that you're looking and you're saying, there is no way. I don't want anything to do with that person. My prayer for you is that you would have the courage to go to them at some point and begin to engage in spiritual conversations if God has put them in your life. And know that it's not on you, it's on Jesus. Because Jesus died on a cross to forgive us of our sins. Here's what I want to show you. When Jesus is on the cross and he dies to forgive us of our sins, I don't think Jesus is looking out there and saying, oh yeah, you know what, I'm dying for sins, but that person over there is too big of a sinner. They don't count. They're beyond hope. They're not going to make it. Let's just tuck tail and run because over there, they're not the ones that are going to come to me. Jesus came to seek and save what was lost. The next thing, too, is this. Notice in the verses that Jesus calls out Zacchaeus' name, right? When we look in Scripture, he calls out Zacchaeus' name. And then Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' home, right? So let's think about this for a minute. Jesus doesn't come along and Zacchaeus say, hey, Jesus, I'd like to talk to you. And Jesus kind of goes, hey, yeah, good to see you. Um, yeah, whoever you are, and move forward, right? I'll get back to you. Or, mm, yeah, hey, good to see you, but I got other things to do. What does he do? He turns and he says, hey, Zacchaeus. Okay, number one. Pretty cool, right? Now, here's somebody. Who's like your favorite person in the world? Right? Anybody got a favorite person? Okay, I'm going to just throw out mine, and you're going to laugh at me. But um, Broncos are doing terrible, right? So I have turned my excitement toward the World Cup. I needed something in my life to make me happy. And I am a huge Leo Messi fan. Okay, Lionel Messi plays for Argentina, right? Okay, we all know him, right? What if... I'm walking down the road, and number one, I get to meet Leo Messi in person. Okay? That would be really cool. But what if it's like, oh, hey, you know, and you see these, some of these guys run out on the field, and they hug Leo, and he, like, gives them their autograph, and then they're carted away and thrown in jail. Okay? What if Leo turns to me, and he says, hey, Trevor, he knows my name. That would be really cool. But what if he also says, hey, Trevor, why don't you come to my house for dinner? Let's get to know each other better. And man, I love Leo Messi, right? And that would be awesome. But this is Jesus. This is Jesus turning to Zacchaeus and telling him by name, hey, Zacchaeus, come down and let's have dinner together. Now, we see that in the scripture and now, the next thing that I want to tell you is just complete uh, speculation. I don't know. We don't know. I'm going to speculate in this. But Zacchaeus is sitting there, and it's obvious that he wants to meet Jesus. And Jesus goes forward and meets him and invites him to, or to have dinner with him. Think about Zacchaeus. He might be sitting there saying, you know, I know my name is pure and innocent. I know that that's what I was called or birthed to be. I'm now a tax collector. 
I'm now the chief of tax collectors. I don't know what I can do. This is where my life is going. I might just have to write it out. I don't think I'm worth anything. I don't think it's ever going to change. People are always going to hate and despise me. I don't know that there's any hope in my life. I don't know that there's any opportunity whatsoever. And then all of a sudden, he hears about this guy named Jesus who can forgive people of their sins. And he says, hey, I want to hear about this. And so Jesus comes along, and he's doing his thing, and you're all excited, and the next thing you know, you're going to meet him, and the crowd is too big, and you're this short person, and you're thinking, my opportunity to meet him is going to be passed up. He's just going to pass through the crowd. And so Zacchaeus moves forward, and it is obvious that his heart wants to know Jesus, but everybody around him thinks that that guy is worthless. And so he looks, he gets passed up by Jesus, and on a second attempt, out of desperation, he does the only thing that he knows what to do, which is to climb a tree and try to get noticed. Brothers and sisters in Christ, is it possible that there are Zacchaeuses out there right now who are crying out, saying, I want to know Jesus, but I don't know how. I want to know Jesus, but I want somebody to come to me and tell me about Jesus Christ. I'm not good enough to be there. I'm not good enough to be in church, but if someone would come to me and notice me and call me by name and welcome me to my home and spend time with me in my sin to, for, to show me that it's forgiven, to show me the love of Jesus Christ, I will come to him. And that's what Jesus does. He blows all expectation. Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, think about this. Think about Zacchaeus. This is my one and only shot. Just to, just to hopefully see Jesus. Just to maybe know something. Just to get a little bit. I'm in this tree and he's probably going to walk by. And what happens? Jesus stops everything that's going on. And he turns. And he says, dude, what are you doing in that tree? Get down, you're going to get hurt. No. He turns and he says, Zacchaeus, this guy knows my name. Point number one that I want to show you in this. Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows everybody's name. And Jesus wants to know everybody because of who he is. He then continues on, and he says, not this, Zacchaeus, get off of the tree. We don't have legal rights for you to be up there. He says, no, come down immediately. Come down. But not only does he say come down immediately and then get out of my way, what does he do? I must stay at your house today. Right here. Right now, I must stay at your house. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. 
Is it possible that there is someone out there who you think is beyond hope, who desperately wants to know Jesus Christ and is just waiting for someone to invest in him or her with the love of Jesus and not just walk by in a crowd? Not just say, I'm too busy for you. Not just say, oh yeah, here, come to church and you'll know. Could it be that someone is looking to you to spend time with them to share the love of Jesus Christ with them? I've said it before, Keith and I will do what we can do. We will do all that we can do to teach, to preach, to bring about Jesus Christ. But brothers and sisters, I'm going to say this really and truthfully. It's on your shoulders. It's on our shoulders to go out and to be salt and light to the world, to advance the kingdom. This church will grow as God sees fit, but I guarantee you it will grow when we are seeking to bring people into his kingdom. Now, newsflash on that. The enemy is going to be right behind us because earlier we heard what? What does the devil not want us to do? Depopulate hell. So yeah, get ready for a bumpy ride. But we can either be complacent and we can just come and sing and do our thing or we can be convicted and we can go out and say, Lord, is there someone who I can either grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ or share the love of Jesus Christ with who desperately needs to know who you are? The next thing I want to show you on verses 1 through 5 is this. That throughout Scripture, time and again, we see God passionately pursuing his people. All the way through Scripture, God continues to passionately pursue his people. He never gives up. He never stops. He never says, that's enough. He comes, he does, he does it again, and he goes to the ultimate sacrifice, which is giving us his son. And so one of the things that I want to encourage you in is this. Therefore, may we remember and trust that this is part of God's nature and character. And so therefore, what is true in the scriptures is also true for the most vile of sinners like Zacchaeus. Whoever your Zacchaeus might be, God wants to meet them. Then we continue on in verses 6 through 8, and it says this. I must stay at your house today, so come down at once, and he welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Think about that. Are we going to get upset when we see somebody hanging out at a sinner's home? Are we going to get upset if we see somebody walking into a place that maybe is not necessarily the best place to be, but they're there to share the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ? Brothers and sisters, we need to go into the kingdom of darkness. We need to go into places and show the love of Jesus Christ to people. But oftentimes we're like, oh, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't go to that person. Don't do this. You shouldn't be there. Let's just come here and worship God. But it takes us moving into the kingdom of darkness to bring people to Jesus Christ. Notice all of this, okay? All the people saw this 
and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Imagine that. That's how much the people hated Zacchaeus. And that's how much they looked at Jesus and said, dude, this guy doesn't know what's going on, what's happening. We've got it together. We've got it figured out. The irony in this is that everybody that's saying he's gone to be the guest of a sinner should have said what? I'm a sinner too. And Jesus looks right through and he says, I'm going to go right to that person and I'm not going to be afraid. I know who that person is. I want that person and we're going to sit down and we're going to break bread together. We're going to build a relationship. And so in this, verses 6 through 8, sadly, by our pride and perceived holiness, we can often neglect sinners in need of Jesus. May we never become so holy so righteous that we think that those don't, who don't know Jesus Christ are below us. That's the worst thing we could do. May we always look and say, we need to go out and we need to give the gospel to other people. The thing that I want to tell you, and I've talked about this uh, before, okay? We are called to reach the lost. That is what we are called to do now more than ever, may we not become a holy huddle. And I use that term as simply this, that we all come together on Sundays like a big holy huddle, right? And we all get together and we feel good about ourselves and we all sing about Jesus, which is great. I'm not belittling it. But all we do is come a holy huddle and we just ride it out until hopefully Jesus returns. Let's do the opposite. Let's break out and go into the community with the kingdom of light and share the love of Jesus Christ for other people. Now watch this. How does Zacchaeus respond? He comes down immediately. He says, thank you. And then what does he do? He gives his wealth away. Again, complete speculation. Okay, Don't know exactly why. But it's obvious that Zacchaeus wants to be forgiven and wants to be included and no longer wants to be uh, known as a sinner. And so his response is the absolute right response for someone who has received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. I want it, you're mine, and I repent of what I'm doing. And so watch this. Zacchaeus' response to Jesus' invitation, number one, is irresistible. Okay? Zacchaeus doesn't hesitate, wait, or ask for a rain check. Rather, he comes down at once and welcomes Jesus gladly. Again, could it be that there is someone out there that you think is way beyond salvation who is desperately just waiting for someone to come forward and tell them about Jesus Christ? Because that's Zacchaeus. And when Jesus comes, he comes down immediately and says, I'm here. The next thing that we see is this. Zacchaeus' response to Jesus' invitation is submissive. It's submissive. He ends up calling him Lord. May we always remember and recognize that in evangelism or in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we don't have a relationship with Jesus, our best buddy, our best dude, the guy that we hang out with, the guy that's cool. No, we have a relationship with Jesus who is Lord of our life. Lord over everything. 
So one of the things that we need to remember and recognize that in our focus with evangelism and in our focus with our relationship is we need to be telling people to make Jesus Lord of their life. Okay? Jesus didn't die to make you know, good people better. He died to make us alive. And in it, we're called to make him Lord of our life. And then also, watch this. Zacchaeus' response to Jesus' invitation is repentant. Zacchaeus gives half of his possessions to the poor and says, if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. He wants to be forgiven. He wants to do right. And he's given the opportunity to do so. But Zacchaeus, verse 8, stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for recognizing me. Thank you for coming to me. And then interesting enough, all these people who are looking and saying, what is Jesus doing with a sinner? Why is he even moving forward? Why is he even doing this? Jesus hits the nail on the head in the final two verses. And that is this. We need to remember that Jesus' entire mission, okay, That's what we have to remember and focus on. His entire mission was and is to seek and to save the lost. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. He calls him back to who he is. He extends salvation to Zacchaeus who thought he was beyond saving hope. And then he turns to everybody else and he says this, today the Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. To seek and to save. Two imperatives in the Greek context purpose. What is Jesus' purpose? He is the Son of Man, capital S, okay? God in the flesh, and my purpose is to seek and to save. What is he seeking? What was lost? Why is it lost? Because it needs to be saved. Why aren't we seeking and why aren't we saving? That's the main thing. Jesus' entire mission was and is to seek and to save the lost. And so lastly, what I want to do with you is this. Put yourself in Zacchaeus' shoes. What if Jesus just said, I'm too busy? What if Jesus just said, Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. He's beyond all hope. What if Jesus just said, you know, I don't want to get out of my comfort zone. And I see this guy climbing a tree and it's really weird and everybody's going to look at me awkwardly. So I certainly don't want to go and recognize him. What if Jesus just kind of gave him a passing glance? What did Jesus do? He called him out by name and he said, come and eat with me. And everybody around him has said, oh, don't do that. So brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the things that I want you to do and one of the things that I want you to pray about is this that in this year you would ask God to allow you to become the guest of a sinner. 
that God would allow you the opportunity to go into somebody's home who doesn't know Jesus Christ and that you could break bread with them and that you could share the love of Jesus Christ with them and you could be Jesus to that Zacchaeus. And so the last thing I want to leave you with is this take-home truth, and that is simply this. May we not become a holy huddle. And, and I... Brothers and sisters, I look 10 years down the road and I pray for this church that in it we won't become just a huddle that rides out the storm. That we will become a church that is going out and advancing the gospel. And yes, there will be hardships and yes, there will be costs and yes, the enemy will attack. But I would rather do that than just come here and ride out the storm until Jesus returns. May we not become a holy huddle May we go out with the gospel to seek and save what was lost. And may we do so boldly with joy in our hearts, love and compassion in our homes, and this tool to help people discover who Jesus is.